Hear that? It's the sound of someone whacking the ground with a rake. Specifically, they're beating around the bush, which we've done enough of in this ad too, so let's get right to it. The new moneymaker scratch-off from the Ohio Lottery doesn't beat around the bush. Money maker. Play the game and you could win money, up to $2 million. With more than $88 million in prizes, ranging from $50 to $500, Moneymaker cuts right to the cash. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Play responsibly. Today is Saturday, June 19th, 2021. On this day in 1987, six-year-old Teresa Cormack was abducted and killed on her way to school. The hunt for the culprit lasted 15 long years. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence and sexual abuse of minors that some people may find offensive and disturbing. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Today, we're covering the day Teresa Cormack was abducted and then murdered. Let's go back to the morning of June 19, 1987, in Napier, New Zealand. Teresa didn't want to go to school that morning. The day before, she and her family had celebrated her sixth birthday. She wanted to stay home, open presents, and play with her new toys. But Kelly Piggott couldn't let her daughter take the day off. She helped Teresa into her red corduroy dress and an oversized red raincoat. Then she sent the girl on the short walk to Richmond Primary School. At the time, most school children in the neighborhood walked unaccompanied to class. Locals later recalled seeing little Teresa in her red raincoat peacefully strolling through the town. But at the school gates, she inexplicably turned around and headed back home. Then at 10.30 a.m., several miles away, insurance saleswoman Brianna Smith slammed on her car brakes. A little girl in a red dress had darted across the road in front of her. With her was a thin, suspicious-looking man with a bushy beard. Brianna would later describe him as looking like Charles Manson. It was Teresa's abductor, 28-year-old Jules Mikas. Jules was the son of Hungarian refugees. Between the ages of 14 and 19, he sexually assaulted several adolescent girls, bouncing in and out of correctional facilities as he reached adulthood. His last registered assault was in 1984, when he lured a 14-year-old girl into his home. The victim escaped, and Jules went to jail for two years for the crime. On occasion, marital disputes seemed to cause Jules to attack children. On June 11th of 1987, his second wife fled their house with their son, hoping never to return. This was just eight days before Teresa's disappearance. But when Brianna Smith spotted Jules with Teresa, she didn't think it was too strange at the time. She pushed the image of the wild-haired man and the little girl away in her mind. By 3.30 p.m., Teresa still had not come home from school. Her mother, Kelly, assumed her daughter had just gone to a friend's home. At 4.30, she called the home of her daughter's best friend, Maria Takamo. 
Mrs. Tolkamo said Teresa hadn't come by. She hadn't been in school that day either. Kelly immediately called the police and arranged a search, but the little girl never came home that night. It wasn't until eight days later, on June 27th, that Teresa was finally found. Just before 9 a.m. that morning, Loma Dickinson spotted Teresa's body under a tree as she walked her dog along the beach. A recent rain had uncovered the shallow grave, leaving the little girl face down in the dirt. Forensics determined that her attacker had sexually assaulted her and that Teresa had been suffocated. As New Zealand reeled, a nationwide manhunt for the killer began. Despite semen and hair samples recovered from the body, forensics was too crude to positively identify the murderer. It wasn't long, however, before the investigative unit got a call from Detective Constable Gary Orr. Gary asked them to look into a suspect for him, a violent sex offender who had a history of attacking girls. The man's name was Jules Mikas. Up next, Jules eludes arrest for 15 years. Hi, listeners. It's Carter from ParCast, and I am thrilled to tell you about a new limited series I'm hosting just in time for Father's Day. It's called Devious Dads, and it introduces you to some of the most feared, fraudulent, and fatal fathers in history. Every Sunday on Spotify, discover the men who started out as role models and ended up becoming real-life criminals like Wall Street financier Bernie Madoff, whose billion-dollar Ponzi scheme destroyed countless families, including his own. Or Marvin Gaye Sr., whose envy and resentment towards his son's successful music career drove him to murder. Each episode of Devious Dads has been handpicked from shows across the ParCast network, shining a light on the men who are far more wicked than wise. This summer, catch a glimpse of the frightening side of fatherhood. Follow the Spotify original from ParCast, Devious Dads. Listen free only on Spotify. Now back to the story. On June 19, 1987, six-year-old Teresa Cormack was abducted on her way to school in Napier, New Zealand. Her body was found eight days later, half buried on a beach. A Lower Hutt police officer told investigators to question 28-year-old Jules Mikas, whose criminal history fit the profile of the killer. No one was certain Jules was the man they were looking for, but Napier police believed he was worth checking out. On July 9, 1987, Detective Sergeant Barry Searle knocked on Jules's door. When he answered it, Searle was struck by the man's sunken face, wild hair, and unruly beard. He resembled Charles Manson, but with soulless, vacant eyes. During questioning, however, Jules was polite, soft-spoken, and completely forthcoming. The detective asked Jules where he was at 9 a.m. on June 19th, the time police believed Teresa was abducted. Jules didn't even flinch when he answered. 
He told Sergeant Searle that from 9.30 to around 10 a.m., he'd been at the social welfare office. He said his estranged second wife could back up the story. After that, Jules claimed he weeded his garden before coming back to the office at 1.30 p.m. Then he spent the rest of the day watching TV and writing letters. The constable returned several times after the initial interrogation, once to collect blood and saliva samples, and again to photograph Jules. But less than two months later, investigators completely lost interest. Jules's alibi effectively ruled him out as a suspect. Elsewhere, the manhunt spun its wheels, looking into sex offenders and cataloging tips from across the nation. The case ran cold. The brutal crime went unsolved, but was never forgotten. The rules of society changed from then on, with children no longer walking alone to school. After a single dark day, people changed how they viewed the safety of their children forever. Meanwhile, Jules kept his head down. Although many remembered him as passive and polite, others knew a scarier, angrier man. His second wife claimed he was abusive. His final partner, Shirley Tekuti, said she wasn't allowed to leave the house without his permission. She knew he was a racist and that he completely lacked empathy for others. No one else ever suspected him of killing Teresa, however. Until 2001, when forensic technology had advanced enough to crack Teresa McCormack's case. In August of that year, police announced they were finally able to put together a DNA profile of the murderer. Shirley, Jules's wife, was watching the announcement on TV when she turned to see his reaction. She said he was completely unmoved. On February 22, 2002, DNA testing positively ID'd Jules Mikas as Teresa's killer. Semen found at the crime scene was 60 million times more likely to match with him than any other New Zealand man. At 7 a.m., four days later, Shirley heard a polite knock on the front door of her home, and Jules went to answer it. Detective Sergeants Brian Schaub and Keith Price needed to speak with him. At 43, Jules's hair was just as wild as it had been 15 years before. He barely reacted when the police arrested him for the abduction, sexual violation including rape, and murder of Teresa Cormack. During the trial, his previously airtight alibi no longer held up. Teresa had wandered the streets longer than authorities initially theorized. They now believed the attack on the little girl took place around 10 or 10.30 a.m., exactly when Jules had no proof of his whereabouts. While Teresa's family watched, a jury sentenced Jules to life in prison. Kelly was grateful that her little girl finally received some justice. In September 2019, Jules Mikas was reported to be dying of a brain tumor. By then, his family had completely distanced themselves from him. He passed away in jail in December 2019 at the age of 62.
Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Paul Liebeskin, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Kitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Daniel William Gonzalez, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Adriana Romero. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Hey there, Carter again. As we close out, here's a reminder to check out my new ParCast limited series, Devious Dads. For 10 weeks, we're exposing the men who are far more flawed than fatherly, ruining anyone who stood in their way, even their own families. Follow Devious Dads free only on Spotify.